Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. As has been mentioned, my name is Thule, and most of you will know that's not an English name. It's not an English name. So before I begin, I'll give you a bit of background. So um, I grew up in a family of foreigners um, who spoke English as a second language. One of them was American, but it's still true. Um, But they taught me English, but the problem was I learned a lot of words from reading books, and I had no idea how to pronounce them. So I went into school saying stuff like hyperbole, hyperbole. Um, I said ori instead of awry. Even lapel. Do you know what a lapel is? Lapel. I didn't know. I read these in books, but my parents never said words like hyperbole over the dinner table. So, of course, I grew up completely uninformed as to how to say these words. And this is going to go neatly into the beginning of a new series because I'm kicking off a whole, like, three months worth of looking at the spirits, the spirits' gifts to us, which seems like a lot. We're going to be spending like three months looking at the different gifts of the Spirit, a different one each week. And some of us might be asking, why on earth are we spending so much time looking at the gifts of the Spirit? We're spending a whole year looking at the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know, Christians believe God is one, one God, but he reveals himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. As a church, we're spending a whole year looking at the Holy Spirit, and one of the things that he does is he gives us spiritual gifts, but it seems like a long time to spend on the Spirit's gifts. But I came across something, and there's going to be a slide that's going to be a bit out of order. Lauren's going to follow along really well, though. And 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, when I read this, I, it stopped me in my tracks. Um, Because if we get it open, I'll get it open here. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 and 2. So this is how he kicks us off. It'll be on the slides, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, please do. Paul says, Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He goes on, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Now, just like I was uninformed about the pronunciation of words and needed a bit of uh, education when I arrived um, in adulthood, into adulthood, moved out from home, in the same way, Paul seems to think there is something really, really important about not being uninformed of the spiritual gifts. Have you ever considered that? If you were to turn to the person next to you and list off assuming you're a believer, list off all of the gifts that you have in the spirit, how many of you would actually struggle? to identify what you have. How many of us, if I was to shout out, like, the gift of mercy would be able to tell me what that even means and looks like? I don't know about you, but I feel very uninformed about the Spirit's gifts. And I don't want to be, because Paul seems to imply that this is super important. To the degree that he wrote not once, not twice, but three times about how the spiritual gifts should act in the church. Which means I've got a lot of ground to cover. That's three different letters. And if anyone's read Paul, he is dense. Dense. But, whistle-stop tour, we will go through a lot today, but also we've got so many more weeks to go even deeper into some of these things. So... (laughs) 
just been upstaged by my very special friend. <laughs> How cute. Okay, recap. So we are now, this is week three, I think, week three. Week number one, Steph brought us, gave us an overview of, who, of the Holy Spirit and how he works. Um, and then he also, next week, oh, week four, next week he did an overview of how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament. And if anyone's read the Old Testament, you'll see a pattern of how, just a pattern that just goes all the way through. And this is how it goes. It's almost like, if you think of it like a bus, there's a slide for this, Lauren. Think of it like a bus, it just says the bus. That's it. Um, it's almost like there's someone who's just driving a bunch of pa- passive passengers to where they should go. And you see it again and again and again. God comes and anoints someone with the Spirit, gives them a special gifting, and then they kind of like just try and haul a bunch of very passive, passive people to the direction that God is calling. Look at Moses. That's one of the classic examples we looked at. God anointed him with the Spirit. He called him out, chosen specially to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, to freedom. Sometimes the passengers would rebel, which we see again and again and again. Sometimes the driver would go off course, which we see again and again and again. But the pattern is the same throughout. Special person, raised up, chosen, anointed, spirit comes on them, and they do the work, and everyone else comes along for the ride, or doesn't, depending on how they're feeling. But Steph ended with a story that foreshadowed a change in this pattern. The story is... Whilst the Israelites are in the desert, just wandering around aimlessly, um, there's a moment where Moses gathers the elders and God, it says, God took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 other Israelites so that they prophesied, including, like we heard, two men who didn't even turn up to the meeting. And his second in command, Joshua, was really upset by this. He was like, look, should we stop them? But Moses replies, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put his spirit on them. He was foreshadowing something. And his dream was instead of just one or two anointed, gifted leaders who were driving passive, unanointed, ungifted passengers around. His desire was that everyone on the bus would be anointed by the Spirit. Everyone would be filled. Everyone would have gifts. Everyone would be able to be really proactive in following Jesus as a people. And then last week we heard Mike share about This dream becoming a reality. After Jesus died, and then he rose to life again, and then he ascended to heaven, what came down? The Spirit came down. And it was poured out on all people. Suddenly, anyone who believed in the name of Jesus would be filled with the Spirit. All believers were given gifts of the Spirit. Areas where they are supernaturally empowered to act beyond natural talent or ability. So it seems like there's a change in the pattern. In fact, the bus has reached its destination. How many of you have heard that when you've uh, fallen asleep (laughs) on a bus? The bus has reached its destination because now it's not ones and twos. Every one of us who believes in God is anointed by the Spirit and gifted. We need a new vehicle, but what is it? 
I think you guys already know. So, but we're going to turn to Romans 12, verse 4 to 8 in your Bibles. Um, and we're going to read this out. Oh, I started with three. Yeah, that's good. Romans 3. So I'm going to read from here because it's closer. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the new pattern. This is the new vehicle for the people of God, the church. It's a body. It's a body. Now, let's compare the body with a bus. They're very different kinds of vehicles. For a bus to function, it literally needs a driver who is awake and knows where they're going. That's it. You don't even need passengers. And a lot of us have seen a lot of empty London buses to know that bus is fully functioning, but there is no one in it that makes it so. But for a body to function, every member has a role to play to some degree or another. Even the appendix has to simply not get inflamed or infected for the body to function. Now, unfortunately, depending on your upbringing, the bus model is still very alive and kicking in the way that we approach church. We often have you know, leaders at the front, um, and they're leaders because they're extremely gifted, and the rest of us just sit and watch, and they kind of lead things and make things happen, and we just come along for the ride, just join in on a Sunday service every now and again. But how can we figure out what Paul wants us to leave behind in that model? How can we leave it behind? What does Paul help us? Well, verse 3 starts with humility. It starts with humility. Everyone, everyone is called to make a humble assessment of themselves in light of what God has done. We want to see the truth about ourselves and live in the light of it. Everyone. Also, we need to realize God is not separating his people into two categories anymore. He's not anointing some, but not others. Instead, what's it say? Each has been assigned a measure of faith. You and me and people around you and next to you, when we believe in Christ, each one of us has been assigned a measure of faith. And I cannot say this enough, Why does it start with humility? Because it's a gift. It's a gift. What you have been given has nothing to do with your spiritual maturity or your importance in God's eyes or people's eyes or how well you perform. Some of the most gifted people on the planet have the most chaotic lives ever and you would be shocked to see how they act and treat people. I don't know why. I don't know why, but this is the way... God works, he gives gifts, and he's generous with them, and it's not contingent on how well we act. But instead, why does it start with humility? We should be rocked by the, God's, the kindness of God, right? A father giving good gifts to his children. 
giving good gifts to his children. Now, I've spoken previously about how God has designed us to relate to him and to one another. That's the goal. That's the goal, learning to love him and love one another better. The church, it's a family we belong to. We're adopted. We've been added to a family with brothers and sisters. But the picture of the body shows a very different kind of belonging. Similar, but different. It implies that belonging to the church is not just about how you're relating to each other, but how you're functioning. There's something about what you're giving and what you're doing that equals belonging. Think of it like this. My heart has access to my lungs and the oxygen it produces, and they belong because of their functions. If my body didn't have heart and lungs, I would be in trouble. But it does. But if I were born and suddenly I was, it was found that I had two hearts, what, what would you conclude about one of the hearts? It doesn't belong. Human beings with healthy bodies have one heart, and only Doctor Who has two. Right? Because we are different, because we have different functions, we belong. Let me put it a different way. Paul says that having different functions is evidence that we belong, not that we don't. If I look at you and I'm like, you are not the same as me, that means we belong. It's not how the world thinks of it, right? I don't know about you, but when I was growing up in school, we were all desperately trying to find people like us to belong to. You had the goths and the chavs and the skaters. You had the boffins. I don't know, did you ever call them boffins? Maybe it's just a Birmingham thing. Okay, thank you. That's what I needed, the affirmation right there. Yes, yes, yes. You're all desperately trying to belong by looking for people like you. What does this say? You come into church, you're like, you're not like me, you're not like me, you're not like me. That means I belong here. What a wildly different way to think about things. Now, verse 6 says, let's look it up. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. I don't know what's clearer. Let us use them. I heard a story once when I was being driven to the train station by an elder who's part of RM, a wonderful, wonderful man, and he told me of a story many, many years before. He was working for the church, serving the church, and there was one area of his job that he really struggled with, really struggled with. He would spend hours every week laboring over it to get it done. He found it the most awful job. And actually, it was so awful, he couldn't bear the idea of giving it away to someone else and making someone else do what made him miserable. One day, he and his leadership team had someone come in who did an exercise with them where they started to identify what their strengths and their gifts were. He could not believe his ears when he discovered some people enjoyed the part of his job that he hated. He could not believe it. So you can now imagine his utter joy when he could give it away to someone who was glad to have it. This is what Moses dreamed about. Every person filled with the Spirit. Every person gifted in such a way that they were able to contribute something and take the load off others and do something with ease and not with, um, yeah, not with difficulty. So soon after, the team rearranged their tasks. They could suit each other's giftings. And instead of feeling guilty, he actually felt, oh, 
I'm actually in line with how God meant this thing to work. I'm not going against God's will by giving away something I hate to someone and making them miserable. I'm in line with God's gift and God's design by giving away something I struggle with to someone who enjoys it and can do it better. A healthy church is one where every member finds their place in the body by functioning in their gifting. But if we're still on the bus and we're still remaining passive, it's not just us, but the whole church misses out on being a healthy body. And as we saw before, Paul places a huge importance on the spiritual gifts. We are not to be uninformed because there's even more at stake than that. Now imagine two people at the bottom of a hill and for years and years and years, they come to the hill, they sit on a bench, and they talk and they get to know each other really, really well. They become the best of friends. But every summer, this beautiful scent of oranges wafts over them. They can smell the fruit from miles away. And it's the top of this hill, there's this orchard, orange orchard, and every summer, it's beautiful fruit, and the, yeah, you can just smell it coming down. And they longed to taste the fruit and not just smell it. But the first problem was that the path up the hill was very steep, very narrow, very rocky. Not an easy climb. The second problem was that one of them, who could see the path, was lame. And the other, who could climb the hill, was blind. So many years passed where they simply smelled the oranges until it became too much. I know, said the blind one. If I get on your back, with your good legs, we can climb the path. And with my good eyes, we can know the way. They were shaky at first, but because there was a friendship there, they worked together, and soon they reached the summit, and they were rewarded with the sweetest fruit they'd ever tasted. This is God's plan for the body. When each of us is functioning, making up for people's lack, making up for people's weaknesses, making up for the areas where some have gifting and some don't, there is a great reward. Let's see what that reward is. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16. Turn in your Bibles or it's on the screen. Um, right. This is Paul again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The natural consequence of a functioning body is that slowly over time it should grow. Newborns shouldn't stay newborns. They should become children who should become teenagers, unfortunately, who should become adults. No, actually, I love teenagers. They're some of the best people on the planet. But it would be weird, and we know it's not something's gone wrong if a newborn stays small and doesn't grow. We know it's wrong. There's something that's just not part of a healthy body when they don't grow. And when you look at references to growth, this is full of it. Next slide. What? It's coming. There you go. Full of it. Full of references to growth. Paul is saying there's something about being in a body which should result in growth. The gifts of the Holy Spirit for building up the church for growing in maturity, it says. Now, let's find my notes. I think I'm in the right place. Apologies. Oh, yeah, here we are. I'm on it. Right. Okay. 
I'm going to ask you a question. Could it be that the church isn't growing as well as it could because we haven't realized the full importance of spiritual gifts? Could it be that because we remain passive passengers, the church is weaker and more immature than she should be? Put it to you another way. How much more mature and strong and beautiful and big could the church be simply by realizing the gifts you've got and functioning in them? That's all it takes. Now, there's some points to note about growth. First, the direction. Do you notice the direction? Grow up in every way into Christ. It's always Jesus. If you're using your gifts and they are not directing people to Jesus, you've gone crooked. You've gone crooked. But God help us. Because I don't know about you, but when you find something you're good at and people start noticing, it gets in, right? Ooh, it gets in. It's hard to stay humble, right? Even though we might know it's just a gift, it's just a gift. When people are like, oh, that really helped me. We've got to have mercy. We've got to be praying. We've got to be staying on our knees and saying, God, help us to be Jesus-centered and Jesus-directed. There's a good rule of thumb before you step out and use a gift, and it's, when I do this, will it leave people more impressed with Jesus or with me? And the gifts are supposed to help us reach maturity, but notice, the gifts are not a result of maturity, right? Spiritual maturity has nothing to bear on whether you are gifted or not. Say it again, because we get it mixed up all the time. Spiritual maturity is the end result of using our gifts, not the starting point. In fact, God looks at the heart. We know that, right? He's actually not impressed with a gift because he gave it to us. So why, you know, he's like, oh yeah, well done. He is impressed though with how we use it. What's it say there? Speaking the truth in love. And actually when you read more into that, it it doesn't just speak of Um, us using our words, speaking the truth in love. It's whole lives that preach love and truth. Love and truth, love and truth. He is so impressed. And it's important to think, I think sometimes we look at those who are leaders and we're like, oh, they must be more spiritually gifted. It's that whole bus image again, isn't it? Oh, they're placed at the front of the bus because they're more gifted. But actually we know, leaders, you read uh, the descriptions that Paul gives of why you should choose leaders or not. It's about character, Gifting is neither here nor there. Of course, you want someone who is a good teacher to be teaching, but you don't want them teaching if their character is crooked. doesn't matter how gifted they are. In fact, I was listening to a preach by some, one sermon who said when he was in youth group, he became a Christian and it, all, everything in him wanted to preach. He was like, this is what I'm called to. This is what I want to do. And his youth leader said, no, no. The minute you get in front of those lights, that stage, your heart is going to be messed up because that is going to become more important to you than the word that you're preaching and the God you're preaching about. The youth pastor was so kind to keep him from prematurely stepping out in his gifting before his character had caught up. In the same way, where are you working on your character? It's always important to remember that. Just because someone has substantial spiritual gifts does not mean that they are necessarily spiritually mature or even a worthy example. 
We know churches can grow crooked when they connect spiritual gifting with spiritual maturity and they elevate people because they're gifted, not because they are walking closely with God. And then another point to note, using our gifts results in an ever-increasing experience of love. Did you see that? Not just relationally, remember, functionally. We're called to belong, not just relationally in how much time we spend with each other, but functionally. And this says, what does it say? When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is crazy. Just by using your gifts, you will experience love. Everyone around you will experience Now, how does this work? How does this work? Well, we read in the earlier chapter that um, the gift is almost in, is equated to being like a measure of faith. And how many of us know stepping out in your gifting often takes a bit of faith? For example, um, I've got a gift of prophecy, which means I get pictures, and sometimes they land and sometimes they don't. And sometimes they can be the weirdest things And it is terrifying, actually, to step out and share some of those things because you're like, I'm a crazy person right now. I'm an absolute crazy person. Nothing in me says that this is definitely from heaven. This is There is an element of saying, okay, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to step out. Isn't that love? That vulnerability, isn't that what you find in really healthy, loving relationships? Where you kind of say, okay, I'm going to set aside some of my, my fears I'm going to take a step because I want to love you more. That's why the body builds itself up in love. When we decide, I'm going to put aside my fears. I'm going to put aside this idea that I want to impress. I'm going to take an act of faith and I'm going to love my brothers and sisters. I'm going to be proactive and love them. Love takes risks. 